When you think of heroes of the Christian faith, I wonder who comes to your mind. Who are the heroes of the faith? Maybe you think of one of Jesus' disciples or the Apostle Paul. Maybe for some of you, John Calvin or Martin Luther, these great reformers come to mind. Or maybe a great missionary hero of the faith, Adoniram Judson bringing the gospel to Burma, or William Carey going to India. How about Lady Huntingdon? wonder if any of us have ever heard of her. Also known as Selina Hastings, she was of the highest English nobility in the 1700s. She rubbed shoulders with royalty. Selina was as wealthy as one could be, and yet she faced difficult trials. She watched her husband die at the young age of 39. She witnessed the death of five of her seven children in her home. The lifestyle of the rich and famous made her sick. She hated the squandering of money and the partying that she both witnessed and herself participated in. As an adult, she turned to Christ. She trusted in Christ for salvation and she wanted to change the world. Selena heard of a preacher in London named George Whitfield. Now there are preachers and then there are preachers. Whitfield preached twice a day, every day, sometimes even more. The crowds were so large that he did something that no English man before him had done. He took the preaching outdoors. And pretty soon you had people who had never stepped foot into a church building gathered together in the fields and in the farms, hillsides, parks, even the fairs. When Whitfield came to town, the mechanics would close down their shops to hear him preach. When he came to town, construction workers left their job sites to hear him preach. And if Whitfield preached at 5 a.m., the people came. And he preached for two hours. And when he did that, people would stay. You might be thinking, that's a miracle. Pastor Dave, I can barely wake up in time for the 9 a.m. service. And after two hours of preaching... But people came, people stayed, people listened. And so one day, Selena set up this meeting with Pastor Whitfield, and she made an offer to him. She said these words, Mr. Whitfield, I watched God save souls through the light of his all-glorious gospel. And now I see the one thing we're living for must be the proclaiming of the love of God to man in Jesus Christ. I am nothing. Christ is all. To behold the glory of such a Savior ought to make us breathe his praises from pole to pole. To preach Christ and his blessing upon repentance over the earth is the commission. While she was saying those words, Whitfield just stood completely silent and still. And so she said, my mind is made up. I'd like to propose a partnership. God chose men to be a member of English's nobility And now I'm ready to use my position for Jesus' sake, and I want your help. I have a burden for the influential in England. Let's bring the gospel to them. Now, why would the young widow, Selena, 
Lady Huntingdon do all this? Why would a woman, why would a woman who had it all give it all away? To give away her influence, to give away her wealth, to propose this partnership. Well, it's because she understood the heart behind the grain offering. That's what we'll be looking at today in Leviticus chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, open up your Bibles, Genesis, Exodus, and then you'll find the book we're looking at for these next several weeks, Leviticus. Leviticus is really a continuation of the Exodus. There's been great redemptive acts of God to break them from Egyptian bondage. And now God was dwelling among his people. But how can a holy God of the universe dwell among his people? Well, friends, remember, that's the question that the book of Leviticus answers. How can sinful man live in the presence of a holy God? Well, the first thing Leviticus tells us about is that people were to come to God with sacrifices or offerings. And there were five main ones. Last week, we saw the burnt offering was made for the atonement of sin. Well, this week, we see the grain offering. And here's the main point of the grain offering, kind of the one point of the sermon. I'll give it to you twice. The grain offering was an offering of one's best time talent and treasure as a response of worship and thanksgiving to God. The grain offering, it was an offering of one's best time and talent and treasure as a response of worship and thanksgiving to God. Look again at verses 1 and 2. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons and priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priests shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It's important to know that the grain offering always came after the burnt offering. If, you, if you're bringing these two offerings together, burnt offering first, then the grain offering. And the burnt offering, remember, was an act of faith to atone for the worshiper's sin. Now, the grain offering is a response to the truth of the burnt offering. It's a response to the gospel. It wasn't for atonement, but for worship and for thanksgiving. Friends, this is why when we talk about spiritual growth and sanctification, we always start with justification. We never move beyond the gospel. We never move past the joy that we get in salvation. As Tim Keller has has once said, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian faith. As if when you grow and you become a mature Christian, then you move on to something else, to something more complex. No, always, always start and live and worship in light of the gospel. We always live in light of the burnt offering. 
The atonement comes first. And now because our sin has been atoned for by God, we live a life of thanksgiving in response to him. The gospel instead is the A to the Z of the Christian life. It's the whole thing. All of our worship is as a result of the cross. We stand back as a Christian and we look to the cross. And we're moved to say, Lord, you did that for me. Jesus died on the cross for me. He paid the penalty for me. He made atonement for us. Wretched sinners who deserve death and judgment forever. Unbelievable. Lord, thank you. Someone accepted by God, by his grace, through the burnt offering, could respond in gratitude with the grain offering whenever they wanted. Another name for it was the tribute offering. That word in Hebrew means a gift of submission to an overlord. In 2 Samuel, the Moabites paid King David a tribute offering because they recognized that they were subject to him. They were saying to King David, you're in charge. When King Hosea of Israel withheld tribute from the king of Assyria, the king saw it as an act of rebellion. Now the grain or tribute offering would reveal in the heart of the Israelite that God was their king. Every time they brought the grain offering, they said, Lord, you're the one who has provided all things. There was an old war movie with actor Jimmy Stewart. And in the movie, Jimmy Stewart plays a man who's not a believer, but in, in that film, he's at the dinner table with his family, and they're about to eat this great feast, and he leads them in prayer before they eat. And he prayed this, Lord, we planted the fields, we hoed the fields, we plowed the fields, we weeded the fields, we cultivated the fields, we harvested the fields, we winnowed the grain, we ground the grain, we made the bread. And we thank you, Lord, for the bread. Amen. Friends, that's the exact opposite of the grain offering. It's the exact opposite attitude that you would have when you brought this offering, as if you brought the offering to the priest. You weren't saying, Lord, I've done it all. And as an aside, just to be polite, thanks. No, when you came with the grain offering, you'd acknowledge, God, you gave the grain. God, you gave the soil. God, thank you for giving the sun and the sunlight in the perfect proportion to grow this harvest for us. God, thank you for the water that watered the soil. God, thank you for protecting it from the intruders. You gave the strength to harvest it. You gave the health to harvest it. And even though you'd have to gather it and grind it and make bread, you'd acknowledge that you couldn't even do any of that work if it wasn't for his strength. Recognize that it was all grace. All of it. The grain offering reminded God's people, look at all that God has done for us. Look at how he's provided for us. Well, what was the offering exactly? Well, let's look at the specifics. It's an offering of the fruit of the ground. There in the beginning of the passage, typically grain. But it could come in a number of forms. You could bring straight flour. It could be raw. But more likely... You would cook it ahead of time. You see those instructions in verse 4 and following. You'd prepare it on a griddle, a clay pot. You could fry it. 
on a pan. Bread was very common, but there was some creativity in how you prepared this offering. The priest would then take it in verse 9. He would take the whole offering. He would take a handful from the offering, and then he would offer it up there on the altar. The rest of it was given to the priests. Well, there's a few other things of note in the passage. The sacrifice often showed that God laid claims to the first fruits, verses 12 and 14. But first doesn't seem to be the greatest emphasis here, but bringing the best is. The words fine flour are used five times in those verses that Happy read. It refers to a finely ground flour. It's used elsewhere in the Old Testament to talk about the best, the most prized and costly flour. Ezekiel even compares that fine flour to gold and silver. There was also olive oil you'd put in. Symbolically, oil in the Old Testament was used to represent things that are set aside or consecrated to the Lord. Verses 4 and 11 tell us that there couldn't be any leaven in the bread that was made. Leaven was a substance, typically yeast, that helps the dough rise, makes it fluffy. But it also caused the bread to ferment. It caused corruption. It was likely excluded because you were not allowed to have any contamination in the bread. And the fermenting process was the beginning of the process that would kill the bread. It's a symbol of death. And anything that pointed to death was avoided in these sacrifices. For that same reason, verse 11, honey was excluded from the bread. It's a word there for sweetness that comes both from the bees, but also in other fruit. Again, those things quickly ferment, causing corruption. Now remember, everything in these sacrifices was a picture for the people. A reminder. Everything meant something. We also see that there's an emphasis in verse 13 for salt. They were told to bring salt in each offering. It's referred to as the salt of the covenant. Salt was the opposite of leaven. It was a preservative. The salt of the covenant symbolized the preservation of the covenant. There was times when covenants were made that, that the two parties would actually taste salt together. Sometimes at the edge of a sword, they would take the salt, they would taste it, and it would symbolize that they were in covenant relationship with one another. And the salt here in the grain offering reminded them of God's covenant promises to them. Every time you add the salt, you'd remember, God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful. Every time you face a difficult cir- circumstance or trial, you'd remember, God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful. That he would never leave you, that he would preserve you, just as the salt would preserve the dough. Well, that's the grain offering. Well, what does all of this have to do with us today? Well, friends, just like it did for Lady Huntingdon, it has great relevance for us. Remember, again, the main point. The grain offering was an offering of one's best time, talent, and treasure as a response of worship and thanksgiving to God. So my fellow Christians... As a response to God's grace to us in salvation, and in a response to God's grace for us in all of his provision, are we offering our best time and talent and treasure to him? 
I know for me it was a sweet time as Philip led us through the prayer of confession as I myself were able to confess some of the ways that I don't do that. Some of the ways that I'm selfish with my time, talent, and treasure. So friends, I ask you today, how's your time? Are you offering your best time to God? Or do you get frustrated when your day is messed up because you had to help a friend or your spouse or someone else? The grain offering took time. To get everything together and to make the bread, you'd have to pause what you're doing. You'd get the grain, you'd have to to grind the flour, you'd have to press the oil, and then you'd have to go to the tabernacle, meet with the priest, make the sacrifice. As you went about the process, you'd be reminded that your time is not your own. Friend, how do you think about your time? Do you think of your time as well yours? Or do you recognize it's God's time that he's given you to steward? One of the best ways we can live out the heart of the grain offering today is to give God our best time. We come regularly to worship God corporately on Fridays. I'm reminded of a story I heard this past week from our Redeemer team that recently went to the Philippines for ministry. Alvin Latonawa, Jeff Baker, Jojo Malakau, Bambi Alcantara, and others were there. And Bambi told me that she met a 61-year-old lady from a village. And this 61-year-old lady had just become a Christian at the young age of 60. And so we have this young believer who told Bambi that she loves, loves, loves worshiping with God's people. She said that if I have to walk up a mountain to be with God's people, I'll do it. And she sort of does. She walks one hour each way every Sunday to meet with the people of God. What's our excuse? Gathering with God's people is a privilege and an honor, and we should give our best time on Friday morning to worship Him, just as we're doing today. We should go to bed early on Thursday so we're alert and energized for the morning. We leave our home earlier on Fridays to pick someone up, to bring them here to be with us. We go out of our way to care for the needs of the hurting. We stop our day to see what our spouse or children need. We stop our day to take care of the hurting person at our workplace. And to the youth in this room, I heard there were over 40 of you that gathered for regeneration just last night. So encouraged to see some pictures and to to hear of you studying God's word. To the youth in this room, maybe this means changing your plans on a school day. Maybe you had plans for what you were going to do at recess or at free time in your school, and instead you stopped playing the sport that you love in order to go sit with that hurting person who's sitting all alone. Maybe you encouraged them and even offered to pray for them. Now, none of those things make earthly sense. See, earthly sense is all about building up your life for yourself. It's all about building up your business, and so you need to work all the time. Why would you meet with another believer to read the Bible when you can meet with another potential investor for your business? Or study alone to get ahead in school? Why wake up early to study God's Word? That makes no sense. It makes more sense to go to my computer first thing and check my email and start taking care of work things so I'm less anxious about the day. 
Earthly sense would tell you, don't go to church on Fridays. That's the one day you have to rest. You have just gone through a busy five days or six days at work. And Friday morning, finally, finally, you get to sleep in. Now, the grain offering meant stopping your day and honoring God in thanksgiving for what he's done in your life. Friends, are you doing this? Are you living a life of thanksgiving to God regarding your time? Well, how about your talent? Are you using your gifts for God regarding your talent? Are you serving God and his people? Romans 12, which Philip read to us earlier, said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then Paul says in those same verses that follow, hey, here's how you do this. Use the gifts that God has given you for the good of the church. Use the talent that God has bestowed on you for the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ. There are many different gifts, but all Christians have them. Those who teach, those who exhort, those who have gifts of mercy, those who have gifts of service. The grain offering took time. But there was also talent involved. You were able to be creative, make something nice. Remember, the part, part of it was burned up, but then the rest of it was given to and eaten by the priests. You prepared it with care. You showed its importance to you. You showed that God and those priests were to be valued and honored. Are you honoring God with your talent? Are you serving the church with your gifts, or do you give your best at work or school and have nothing left to give the body of Christ? Are there gifts and talents that you've never even thought to use in ministry? I'd encourage you to talk to one of the elders. We can help you think and pray through ways that you can serve the body of Christ. Know where to use our time, where to use our talents for God, but thirdly, also our treasure. The grain offering was costly. Fine flour was expensive. Frankincense was an imported spice. Remember, that's what the wise men brought to King Jesus as a birthday gift. And giving grain was a huge act of faith. We don't worry about grain today. If we run out of grain, there are other ways to get food. But in that culture, they were completely dependent on that grain. If the rains didn't come that year, they didn't have anything to eat. It was a big thing when harvest time came. It meant life. It meant they could live another year. I mean, it's easy for us to forget this today. There's food everywhere in Dubai. You can hardly go anywhere in Dubai and not find shawarma and hummus and triple cheeseburgers and cheese fries. But friend, for them, this costly offering was of your very livelihood. It was a big step of faith. You trusted that God would provide more, that God would provide enough for you, for your family, for your community to eat. In the same way, fellow Christian, we are to give generously to God out of our finances as an act of worship and thanksgiving and faith. This sacrifice also had a very practical element in in it. This was how the priests were provided for. Remember, there were 12 tribes in Israel. 
when they'd get to the promised land, each of those tribes was allotted land to farm, to have their cattle to graze. But there was one tribe who did not get an allotment, and that was the tribe of Levi. The Levites were not given land. The Levites were to spend 100% of their time and energy leading the worship of God's people. So the grain offering provided a very practical need. It fed the priests. It fed their families. Provided for their, their means of life. Later on, we see in Nehemiah that, that when he sees the temple shut down, when Nehemiah goes up and sees it all shut down, he realizes that there are no priests there because the people had quit bringing their offerings. The people had neglected the worship of God. They had neglected bringing their produce, bringing their means, bringing their finances to the temple. They had just, they had just quit. And so the priests, the Levites, they had to go and start farming. They had to go find food for their families to eat. Corporate worship was stopped. Well, the grain offering was God's provision to make sure corporate worship continued. We see the same thing about providing for the priests in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 9 talks all about this, if you want to read that later. And Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 5, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now, if you have an ox and your ox is grinding the grain for you, don't be mean. Don't muzzle the ox. Don't close its mouth so that he can't eat any of the grain. You think you're doing yourself a favor. You don't want to lose any of the grain. You don't want it to hurt your business. But the problem is your ox is going to get tired. Your ox is going to get hungry. He won't be able to work anymore. Eventually, the ox will just fall over in exhaustion. If you let your ox eat, you may lose a little bit of the grain. That's okay because you keep your ox healthy and growing and your ox is going to keep working for you. No, it's smart to reward the ox for his labor. And Paul says, this is just like pastors, priests. Make sure they're provided for. If the pastor is worried about how to provide for his family, he'll be distracted and discouraged. What you don't want is a pastor who's always worried about money, worried about what his family's going to eat or live. Or you don't want a pastor who spends too much of his time looking for other ways to make money. You want him focused on leading the corporate worship of his people. I heard a great story a couple years ago. Uh, a pastor, he comes home and he says to his wife, this is great. There's a church who wants to pay me 50% more than our current church. And the wife responds, wow, what are you going to do? The man says, I'm going upstairs to pray. The wife responds, well, do you want me to come up and pray with you? He says, no, I'll pray, you pack. <laughs> no, the point in this passage is this. God has provided a way for pastors to be paid, and that's through the generous giving of God's people back to God. So when we do a budget update, we're not just worried about making the budget. No, we as Christians have a priority to meet the needs of those God has called as pastors. And Redeemer, thank you for your commitment to do this. On behalf of our pastors, thank you for your commitment to give in a worshipful and thankful manner to meet the needs of this church. 
And as our members know, our pastors still have to raise about 15 to 20% over and above the giving that comes from the congregation. But as a church, we're making progress. We're slowly getting there through our generous giving. And so we praise God for what he's doing in and through us in this church. Now, the grain offering, it wasn't supposed to make the pastor rich. I mean, they, they weren't bringing gold. They were bringing grain. But it did ensure that the priests could keep on working in that place. Now, I thought this was funny, too. A Bible scholar Alan Ross said that a fat priest, a big priest, was a sign of a spiritual Israel. That means that everybody's making grain offerings, right? Everybody's bringing tribute to God. Everybody's worshiping God in thanksgiving. And so they're bringing more and more and more grain to God's people. And remember, part of it was offered up on the altar, but then the rest of it, the priest had to eat. The priest had to eat it. They were forced to eat it. Now, this sounds pretty amazing. Priest gets to eat all the time. Cupcakes, red velvet cake, Oreo cheesecake. Okay, not exactly. It was unleavened bread. But it was still good. The priest had to eat it. I mean, last week I mentioned that part of the priest's job was being a butcher. That sounded a bit gross. I don't think I'd ever want to be a butcher. But this part of the priest's job sounds like my dream job. He gets to pray and he gets to eat. What better things to do than those? No, the point is, the point in all that is that we are to give as an act of worship and thanksgiving. And God uses that to continue the ministry in that place. Friend, are you giving to God by giving to his church? Do you have a plan to systematically and generously give a portion of the money he's given you to steward? God's people were to give 10% of their income directly to the priestly ministry. And there were other offerings on top of that that they were to give. It would seem that God's people today should start at 10% and gradually increase their generosity now that we're on this side of the cross, now that we've seen the fruition of the Lord's plan to come and save his people through the cross. Friend, Jesus has given us his life. How can we not now overflow in generosity back to him? We should give generously of our time. We should give generously of our talent. And we should give generously of our treasure. How are you doing today? Are you overflowing in joyful generosity? The grain offering was an offering of one's best time, talent, and treasure as a response of worship and thanksgiving to God. And sacrifice to God actually contributes to our spiritual health. As it stretches our faith and draws us near to him in worship, it's actually not sacrifice. A sacrifice is not sacrifice. Does that make any sense? It actually brings you great benefit. It's counterintuitive. A sacrifice is not sacrifice, but... It is a means of grace to draw you near to God. Now, sacrifice and offering is a means of grace to draw you nearer to God. We give our time, we give our talent, we give our treasure back to God. We're to give our best to God. Why do we do this? Well, friends, it's because of the burnt offering. Why are we to give our best to God? It's because of what he has done for us. We give our best to God because he's given his best to us. Jesus 
the bread of life. The one whom the grain offering pointed to, the very Son of God. God in the flesh left heaven. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life in our place. And then he went to the cross. He went to that cross as the ultimate grain offering. There was no corruption in him. No leaven to be found. He never sinned. He gave us his very life. And it wasn't that part of it was offered on the altar. He offered his entire life. All of the believer's sins were placed on him. He faced the full, overflowing cup of God's wrath upon himself on that cross. He held nothing back. He took everything that we sinners deserved so that we might have eternal life. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead, proving that that sacrifice was complete and acceptable. Now, Jesus is who the grain offering pointed to. God gave us his best, his son. He gave the ultimate sacrifice, and he did it with joy. Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. And that joy was his bride, the church. Friend, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus to save you, do it today. Turn to him in faith, and he will save you from your sin and give you everlasting life. Fellow Christian, let's together live out the heart of the grain offering just like Lady Huntington did. Selena wanted to see the rich. She wanted to see the royal there in England come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so she made that bold proposal to George Whitfield. And Whitfield said yes. Enthusiastically, Whitfield said yes. And the rest is history. Of that first night preaching to England's nobility, Whitfield wrote these words. I went home never more surprised at any incident in my life. The prospect of doing good to the rich that attend her ladyship's house is very encouraging. Who knows what God may do? As history shows, God did more than they ever imagined. Prominent politicians, actors, writers, lords, and ladies, even some members of the royal family would come to sit under Whitfield's preaching. The Prince of Wales would attend. Pretty soon, Whitfield preached at Selena's house every Tuesday and every Thursday. She also funded him to go back and forth to North America to take the gospel to places that had never heard it. And then to see permanent outposts of the gospel, Selena built 116 church buildings and even a seminary. And at the same time, Whitfield went out to train pastors to fill those pulpits. She spent 50%, one half of her yearly income, and she poured out her savings for this ministry. She almost single-handedly funded Whitfield's ministry. And many nobles, many influencers in England and later in North America came to Christ as a result. It was a gospel partnership that took the world by storm. It so affected Whitfield that when he passed away, though he wasn't a rich man like Selena, when he passed away in his will, he left everything he had to her. He left everything he had to her to continue on the ministry. 
Whitfield ended one of his sermons with these amazing words. Oh, let there be joy in heaven over some of you who believe. Let me not go back to my master and say, Lord, they will not believe my report. No longer harden your hearts, but open them wide and let the king of glory enter in. Believe me, I am willing to go to prison or death for you. But I am not willing to go to heaven without you. The love of Jesus Christ constrains me to lift up my voice like a trumpet. That's the grain offering. The love of Jesus Christ so compelled Lady Huntingdon and George Whitfield to give their time, to give their talent, and to give their treasure to God. They beheld God's glory in the burnt offering, and they saw the cost of their forgiveness, and they couldn't help but give the grain offering over and over and over and over again back to God. They gave it all because he paid it all. Redeemer Church of Dubai, may we, by the grace of God, do the same. Would our church be a pleasing aroma to the Lord? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, would we as Redeemer Church of Dubai be a thankful and worship-filled church? Would we want nothing else but to thank you for what you've done in our lives? Help us to behold your greatness in the days ahead. And would our lives be a pleasing aroma to you? Oh, Lord, bless us to pursue you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength in the days ahead. Would we give of our time, talent, and treasure to you? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.